0: Well, good morning. I uh, I thought that I was coming to a place that I knew no one, but then I found out that Paul Bartnick is here, and Paul and I go back a long way, and I'm thankful that he's uh, there, and uh, and I'm thankful that I'm here. Yes, I am a I am from uh, Ohio. I'm a Buckeye, a worthless nut, and. Uh, and this, uh, we're entering into the, the most severe time of the year for, for me because it's so hot down here. It is so humid and I long for the seasons, uh, but I just have to put up with summer and then the rest is glorious, right? So, uh, but I want to share with you something this morning that God has shown me and hopefully it will be a help to you. It took me quite a while to see this uh, in in its uh, uh, different forms, but I've learned that the Christian life is a journey to fullness, and I hope you see that this morning. Uh, That God has indeed a plan, He has a will, And he has a pilgrimage for us. And sometimes, you know, uh, even though it's a a wonderful and fruitful journey, sometimes on that journey, you're going to feel like you somehow lost the map. And maybe you know what I'm talking about. Uh, That uh, somehow, some way, uh, that sometimes God has forsaken you. Uh, But on this journey that we call life, you're going to come from time to time to a detour. And we've all been there. We've all been on detours. And then, you know, uh, sometimes you're going to come to a dead end. And there are times when you're going to come to a dry hole in your Christian life. And let me tell you where I'm coming from. Turn, if you will, in your Bibles. If you don't have your Bibles, I think it'll be on the up front for us. But uh, we're going to be in Exodus. Uh, chapters 13, 14, and 15. But only portions of, of those uh, chapters. Uh, in your bulletin is an outline. I, I like to use outlines where you have to uh, fill in a blank. Because if you fill in the blank, you're getting it in your eye gate and your ear gate. And hopefully you'll remember it past the parking lot. But... Uh, uh, right away, when you look at this, this, uh, the, this area of Scripture, uh, you'll come to know that uh, this is the story of the children of Israel, and they're, they're coming from the land of Egypt, and they're going to the land of, of promise, the land of fulfillment, the land uh, that's filled with milk and honey. It's the land of Canaan. But I also want to remind you that the Bible says that all these things that we're going to talk about this morning and other things too, uh, are they happened as examples for us? Now look with me, if you will, beginning with verse 13. Uh, I mean, chapter 13, verse 17. Chapter 13, verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt armed for battle. They, were, they thought they were armed for battle. Now, why did God do this? Why did he do this? Uh, the Bible says that they were coming out of Egypt And they're on their way to Canaan. Had they gone the way that the crow flies, which would have been a lot shorter, they would have gone straight to Canaan, but uh, they would have had to go through the land of the Philistines. And the Philistines were tough people. They were warlike people. And so why didn't God let them go through that land, through the Philistines. Well, we don't have to think too much about it. The Bible tells us that God said they're not ready for battle. You know, they had not been seasoned. And God knew that if he had led them through the Philistine country, when they saw war, their hearts would turn to water. Their knees would buckle. they tuck their tail between their legs like whipped puppies. And they would race back to Egypt. And so God, the Bible says, led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea through the wilderness. And so God put them, and I want you to watch your notes here, God put them on a divine detour. The wilderness was was a discipline of divine detours. Now why in the world would God do a thing like that? Well, I believe God was showing them uh, that you get there too fast. You can get there too fast. And and sometimes we may wonder why we just don't seem to be making any progress uh, on whatever we're working on, some project or something. And we, we say, why is it that I'm going around in circles on this particular project? Or uh, in this particular area of my life? Am I out of the will of God? Have I lost my way? And can't I read a map? And God's delays, and I want you to think about this. Uh, that's not the problem. The problem is that we may, God may be delaying, be delaying your blessing on purpose. And what I mean by that is God's delays are not denials. We get that confused sometimes. God had these people on that narrow, rocky, backwoods road. And why? Because he was toughening them. He was was hardening them. He was maturing them. I guess you could say that it was was God's boot camp. And they weren't ready for battle. Oh, they thought they were. But God was getting them ready. And I think uh, perhaps some of you who have a, a few more years behind you realize that maturity takes time. It takes time. And uh, it's not instantaneous. I have a six-year-old grandson, and he thinks he can do anything. He thinks he knows how to do everything. I can't tell him how to do anything. Oh, Papa, I know how to do that. I know how to do that. And then I said, okay, show me. And he has no clue. But, uh, But, you know, it's not an instantaneous thing. So God was just putting these, these people on the back road. And you might say, well, these, these people must have been out of the will of God. That's just, they, they were out of the will of God. No, they, they weren't out of the will of God. I mean, look, if you will, uh, in the next few verses, beginning in verse 21 and verse 22. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And by night, in a pillar of fire, to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. You talk about GPS. I had to have. I, I needed GPS to get here this morning, and uh, it had been a, a while since I was on I-4. Oh man, <laughs> what a what an experience for me. But uh, but. They were not just wandering about aimlessly in the wilderness. Watch your notes here. God was leading them every step of the way. And, and beloved, this is an Old Testament picture of the Holy Spirit of God that God has given us to guide the believer through this wilderness and the Bible uh, says that God didn't take away the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire from before the people. He, they were right where He wanted them to be, and it was it was there all the time. And they had but one duty, and that was to keep their eyes on the pillar and follow it. That's what they they needed to do. And if you don't take anything from uh, this morning, anything else from this morning, take this and write it down because it's in your notes. The will of God for your life is not a road map. We want a road map. We want to know where every every step what we're supposed to do. The will of God is not a road map. It's a relationship. It's a relationship with the living God. You see, you do not have to know where you're going. Now, this sounds really crazy talk. But you don't have to know where you're going. You do, however, have to know who it is that's leading you. That's important. The main thing you need to know is that God, it's God himself who is leading you. And someone said, and you've probably heard it before, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And, and any, what you have to do is to make certain that there is nothing between your soul and the Savior. That's why when we, take, we get ready to have communion, it's always important to have that time of, of confession. Before you, you come, you don't want to dishonor the Lord's table. And that there's nothing between your soul and the Savior. That you know that you know that you know that there is that presence, you see that cloud uh, by day and that fire by night. And then it doesn't make any difference if you're going around in circles. You know, not one bit of difference does it make if you are a child of the living God and he has called you to himself and it is the living God who is leading you in circles, then those circles have a divine purpose. And we lose sight of that and we don't have the patience to realize, to stop and realize, if my God is sovereign, then these circles, are, they have a divine purpose. So they, they're, they're part of his divine plan for your life. And you may not understand it for the moment. How many times I can tell you in my own life, I didn't understand what was going on, what was happening. Uh, but I don't, you know, you don't have to understand it if you have that pillar of fire and cloud leading you every, every step of the way. I heard a, a, a story of a young uh, evangelist. And uh, his wife had died very tragically and, and uh, uh, suddenly, and, and she left him with two young sons. And this evangelist kept his itinerant ministry and he had a live-in nanny uh, that would come and take care of the boys when he was out of town. And when he was coming home from one of his meetings, uh, he, always had a, he always would bring a gift. And the boys always looked forward to that. Well, one time, he for, totally forgot about buying the boys a gift. So he gets on the plane and he realizes, I've got to do some fast thinking. So he gets off the, he gets off the plane at the, at the airport and the boys are there waiting for him and they give him a hug and a kiss and they head straight for the suitcase. And he says, uh, boys, uh, you don't have to look in the suitcase. Uh, I have a better present tomorrow morning when Walmart opens. We're going down there and fellas, you can have anything you want in that store. That must have been a pretty good meeting, huh? Uh, but the next morning, bright and early, uh, these boys are dragging their dad through the front doors of Walmart, and they, they went first to the pet section, and they, they thought they wanted a hamster. And they said, Daddy, could we have a hamster? And he says, Boys, you can have a hamster if you want. But, you know, we just got here. So they said, Oh, yeah, okay. So then they go to the electronics section, and they spy an Xbox. And they said, Oh, Daddy, can I... Is it possible? And they said, Wow, uh, that we could do that, but you know we we got a lot more to see here, and so they they said, You're right, Dad and so finally uh, they they went to the back wall of the Walmart where the bikes were, and they looked and they saw a black mountaineer and a red mountaineer and uh, one jumped on one, one jumped on the other, and they said, Daddy, is it possible we could have new bikes? And, uh, and he said, uh, Boys, if you want new bikes, then new bikes it is. And two happy boys rolled out those new bicycles out of that Walmart that the father wanted to buy for them from the time that they had walked in the front door. Now, why do I tell you that story? Because it may seem sometimes that God is, and pardon me for this illustration, that he's leading you around in circles in the Walmart store of your life but, you know, uh, the Bible says to us, therefore the Lord longs to be gracious to you, and therefore he waits on high to have compassion for you. And I believe that if God doesn't give you what you want, it's because he wants to give you something better than what you want. And don't be in such a hurry to get there that you miss the will of God, because you may simply be in what is called the discipline of detours and, and patience is, is called for. Now, not only did the children of Israel come to the discipline of detours, but they came secondly to the dilemma, watch your notes, the dilemma of dead ends. And look with me, if you will, look at uh, chapter 14, uh, chapter 14, Exodus, and the first four verses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp at Pihirath between Migdal and the sea. They are to camp by the sea directly opposite Baal Zephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. Now, a detour is is aggravation if you've ever been on one. But a dead end is desperation if you've got Pharaoh behind you. And they've been out in this wilderness, and it seems like the road is kind of straightening out. But finally, you know, they're, they're on their way. Finally, they're on their way to Canaan. They look over their shoulder, however, and they see this cloud of dust, and, and it's Pharaoh with 600 chariots with his sword gleaming in the sun. He's got blood in his eye. He's got hatred in his heart. He just came from the deathbed of his firstborn son. And now there looms before them the Red Sea. Mountains, they got mountains and wilderness on almost every side. And they're they're trapped, they're in this, like a cul-de-sac. I used to live on a cul-de-sac. It was kind of nice. This was not nice. And they turn to Moses and they say, what's wrong with you, Moses? Can't you read a map? You know, I mean, how on earth, Moses, did you bring us here to this dead end? And I want you to know that the children of Israel were not there because they were out of the will of God. I'll say it again, you know. And I want you to know that the Bible says that it was God who led them there. And it was God who brought them to a dead end. And maybe you've been to a dead end. And uh, I'm not just talking about, you know, the street that says no through, no through street or dead end. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a real dead end. And, uh, and you know, you, you might say, well, what did I do wrong to get here? Well, maybe not a thing in the world. But, you know, why did God bring them to a dead end? Well, God brought them, and right fast, because here's three quickies here God brought them to a place of desperation, that He might bring them to a place of dependence, that He might bring them to a place of deliverance, and that He might get the glory. You see, God knew exactly and precisely what he was doing. The Holy Trinity, you think about this, the Holy Trinity never meets in emergency session. I mean, wringing their hands, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Boy, we didn't see that one coming. That never happens. You know, I mean, sometimes we get so upset and we run around and we're saying, well, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We don't have to worry if... There is that pillar of cloud, that pillar of flame, and you know that you have that unbroken relationship with the Lord. And then you can see what God wants to do. And it was God who led those children of Israel there. He told Moses, Moses, you tell these people, do not fear. You know, stand by and see the salvation of the Lord. And now, this is a wonderful thing here because first of all, he says, refuse fear. Uh, Satan is the sinister minister of fear. We have fear around us We're afraid of so many things. We've been afraid of COVID. We've been afraid of uh, of wars and our involvement in those wars. We've been afraid of inflation. We've been afraid of of all these various things. He's the sinister minister of fear. And, uh, And yet God says that he has given us, he has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. So we ought to grab hold of that. Let me, let me give you an acronym for fear. I put it in your notes, and this has helped me along the way uh, numerous times. F-E-A-R. False evidence appearing real. Now, that's not mine. I got that a long time ago from someone, and, and that has helped me from time to time. False evidence appearing real. And uh, it, I already said that we're, uh, I'm from Ohio, and uh, we had been in a, our home in the outskirts, the western suburbs of, uh, of Cleveland called Berea, Berea, Ohio. And we'd only been there a short time. And I awoke one night in the wee hours to the sound of our cat meowing to come in from outside. So I get up, and I, I let the cat in, But as I walked into the living room, I became aware of the presence of somebody else in the room. And uh, I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but it is frightening. And it was dark. I didn't have my glasses on. I could only make out uh, his outline and, and some vague features. And I squinted, you know, I was trying to clear my vision. My heart is just pounding in my chest because uh, this guy was very big, six inches taller than me at least, and he looked very sinister, very ugly, and I was frozen in place by the couch, and I still managed a challenge, yeah, standing there in my underwear, <laughs> and, uh, and I'm going to be, I'm going to have this challenge, and I said, what are you doing here? But there was no response. This guy just stood there. And, and I said to myself, I cannot act afraid. But I remember wishing I had a light on. And, and I thought, i got to have a light. I've got to, you know, be able to see better, to move, to defend, and so forth. So I, I'm by the end of the couch, the, the end table's here, the lamp is here, and I slowly reach out and I put my, my, my hand up here and I turn on that light and I realized, I recognized the intruder in our home that dark night. It was me. I had been looking at my reflection in the picture window, and he was not nearly as big or twice as ugly as I originally thought. <laughs> you know, But I was simply looking at myself, and I was scared to death of, of me, of a distorted image of myself. And beloved that's where so much of our fears seem to come from. You know, when we have our eyes on ourselves rather than upon our great God who says don't be afraid stand still stand fast in the Lord. Now, y- you know what God did here? He opens up this super highway right through the Red Sea. People are still talking about it today, of course. And, uh, and, and he did this as he delivered his people. And God brought them to this place of desperation that he might bring them to this place of dependence on himself and that he might teach them a lesson through deliverance. And so God led, to, led them to that discipline of detours and maybe that's where you're at this morning. Uh, and then he, he led them to the dilemma of dead ends. But he's not finished with them yet and he's not finished with us. Uh, look, if you will, at the next chapter. Chapter 15. And beginning with verse 22. Then Moses led, uh, uh, led Israel from the Red Sea and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. You understand how many people were in the exodus. Thousands, thousands. And they, they without finding water. Verse 23. When they, beca- when they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That's why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? And oh, by the way, verse 25, uh, the NIV is not as clear as uh, perhaps the, the New American Standard, the New King James, the ESV or others. But in verse 25, the New American Standard says, then he cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a tree and he threw it into the waters and the waters became sweet. There he made for them a statute and regulation and there he tested them. Now, They had been on this detour and they feel as if God is not pleased with them. And then they they reach a dead end and they feel that uh, God has uh, been judging them. But now they come to this dry hole and they feel that God has forsaken them altogether. Maybe this sounds familiar. (laughs) But again, they haven't done anything especially wrong to get there. They were not, again I say it, they were not out of the will of God. But they come to this place where there's no water. But, and, and they've searched for water, there is no water, and then, you know, that particular thing uh, is this disappointment becomes God's appointment. And God has brought them, watch it now, he he has brought them to the disappointment of dry holes. Dry holes. So he brings them to this place where there's no water, and then the water that they do find is bitter water, and then the the Bible says that they began to grumble. Grumble. Isn't that an ugly word, grumble? Grumble. The Bible tells us to do all what? All things without grumbling. Yeah. And did you know that in his word, God links grumbling with fornication and idolatry? That it's a terrible sin? And the reason why, if you turn to chapter 16, please don't, but uh, uh, Moses told them, your grumblings are not against us. You know, but against God, against a living God. And you see, if you're following the Holy Spirit and then you grumble about what happens to you about your life, uh, who are you grumbling about? You know, you're, you're grumbling against God. Who is it that is the sovereign God over all things? You may grumble against your pastor, you may grumble against your, your parents or your teacher, or your boss, uh, your husband, your wife, and yet you claim to be living and walking in the Spirit. That's a contradiction. That cannot be. Uh, be, be and you think, well, why? Because the Bible says, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything, what? Give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do you know what I found that grumbling is rooted in? <laughs> it's rooted in unbelief. Unbelief. Did, did God bring them to the Red Sea to forsake them in the wilderness? Well, no. Did, uh, it was a test. He did what he did with the Israelites, the Bible says, to prove them to test them, and and I want to tell you, they failed. They flunked it, and they miserably and disgracefully did they they fail this test. It was like our daughter-in-law. My son and my daughter-in-law teach English uh, on the college level, and when they first started out, uh, they were teaching at a small uh, Christian college in Georgia, uh, Toccoa Falls College. Maybe some of you are familiar. And Sherry was teaching uh, this uh, freshman English class, and she gave a test that most of the class failed, and she had parents calling to complain. I didn't know you could call a professor uh, at college and complain about a a, a, a grade, but apparently you can and so she had these, these, this parent call, and one parent said, my daughter doesn't believe she deserves the F that you gave her. Hmm. And Sherry was very frustrated at this point, and she said, ma'am, neither do I, but it was the lowest grade that I'm allowed to give. <laughs> and she made no points, but, uh, but that's how badly the children of Israel flunked this test. And all they could do was grumble. Now, what did God do? Well, he knew exactly what he was going to do, just like he knew exactly what he was going to do at the Red Sea. And he, God showed Moses a tree. Now, it wasn't, you know, this giant oak. It was, it was a tree. We don't know if it was laying next to the, to the water or, or what. But Moses threw the water the, the, the tree into the bitter waters, And they became sweet. They became drinkable. Now, I don't know what that tree represents to you. But to me and to many others, it represents the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ who is hanged upon a tree, who is crucified upon a tree for you and for me. And there was nothing else, just the tree. It was there all the time. God had made this provision for these people. And why did did God do this? I believe God wanted to teach them a lesson that every one of us needs to know. That not only is the Savior necessary, but the Savior is enough. I I think most of us realize that Jesus is necessary. But I wonder how many of us realize that Jesus Christ is enough. And you say, well, what do you mean? Well, let me ask you this. Do you have joy this morning in your life? And you say, oh, yes, sir, I've got joy. Well, okay, where are you getting your joy from? Well, you say, well, I'm getting it from Jesus. And I say, well, how do you know? How do you know you're not getting your joy from your bank account? Because, you know, you've got a lot of money in the bank. So... I'm just sitting here fat, dumb, and happy, and, I'm, and I've got all this money, and I've got joy. Oh, really? Well, how do you know it's not your bank account? Take away the money. Take away the money. Do you still have your joy? How do you know you're not getting your joy from your family? Well, remember Job? His family is wiped out. Take away your family. Do you still have your joy? You know, how do you know you're not getting your your joy from your job or from church? Take away those things. We kind of felt that way during COVID. That church was taken away. Do you still have your joy? Beloved, you may not know, and write this down, you may not know that Jesus is enough until Jesus is all you have. And I think of these, these people that are have been transplanted and chased out of their countries and they're refugees and they're being hunted down. We, I have a friend who's a missionary to Afghanistan and the stories he tells are horrific. And I think to myself, what if I was in that place? What would I do? And all they have, these believers, they have Jesus. And that's all they have. But he is enough. And what happened with the children of Israel is this. God brought them to, uh, out there and they didn't have anything else but a tree. It, it, th- that's it, just a tree. But that tree wasn't just necessary, it was enough. And they put that tree in the water, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. And that bitter water was made, made sweet, made drinkable. And it could be this morning that God has brought you to a dry hole, uh, has brought you to a place of of dryness in your life, even worse, bitterness, and you have begun to grumble, and you're failing the test. Let me end here by, by showing you God's sense of humor. This is a great way to end. Look down the page, if you will. We've been in in verses 22 through 25, but we're in chapter 15. Look at verse 27. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees. So they camped there by the water. Sometimes we read over things we don't realize what's happening. So here they are grumbling and complaining, and right over the sand dunes, there's 12 springs of water. How many elders, uh, how many, uh, let me say, how many tribes were there? 12. Hmm, interesting. Uh, How many palm trees were there in this account? 70. How many elders were there? 70. 70. Don't you think God has a sense of humor? I mean, there's an oasis for every tribe, there's a palm tree for every elder, and it was right over the sand dune. It was there all the time, and here they are at this dry hole, grumbling and complaining because they couldn't see what God was up to. You see, if this morning you have a broken heart, everything seems to have run out on you, If this morning you seem to be lonely, forsaken, and you say, what did I do? How did I get out of the will of God so badly? You may be right in the very bullseye of God's will. Are you conscious of that pillar of fire? It's about relationship. That pillar of cloud. I'm telling you, He is enough. We think we have to manufacture more and look for it in someone else or something else. But he is enough. And the Lord Jesus is enough for our worries, our failures, our challenges at home with the kids, our marriages, and even in our loneliness. Beloved, he is sufficient. He is enough if we will but trust him with it all. And the question is, will you do it? Will you go home walking in that truth? And I pray that you will. Pray with me, Father. Father, I... Lord, I, I realize that how often we have found ourselves at a dead end or we're on a, a detour or we're sitting at, at a dry hole empty. And Lord, how easy it is to grumble, to complain to blame everyone and everything else when we need so desperately to stand fast and watch what you will do. And Lord, I pray for honesty today. Lord, I pray that uh, our hearts would be open wide to see that not only is our Savior necessary, for he is, but that Jesus is enough. Lord, meet us where we are today. And I thank you, Father, for the Lord Jesus, our Savior, our Sanctifier, our Healer, and our coming King. Amen.